When my boyfriend proposed, I didn't have an answer for him. On Instagram, you always hit the picture of the ring and the caption. I said yes. I used to feel a twinge every time I saw this kind of announcement. Because the truth is, I said, maybe. I had thought that I wanted to get married. I was one of those girls who talked about my dream dress. But when he popped the question, I was surprised to find that I had a question of my own. What does marriage actually mean today? I knew that I loved him before I accepted his proposal. However, I felt like I had to understand what exactly I was committing to and how, with our cultural differences, we could come to a shared understanding of what that commitment means. In this episode, my most vulnerable yet, I will be retracing that process of discernment. And I will be speaking with many people that I look up to, to ask them for advice. I hope these conversations might bring you a little clarity. Let's begin. My brother got engaged when he was in a coma. This was the first thing my boyfriend ever said to me on the topic of marriage. It was one of our early dates and I was like, no, I'm sorry, that makes zero sense. That was my first indication that there might be a very different understanding of what it means to be engaged here in Sweden. If you are listening to this and you were Swedish, you might be able to imagine how this sort of thing might come about. Or maybe not, it's a pretty crazy situation. Chances are though, if you have never lived in Sweden, you, like me, might be thinking that this was impossible. So here's how my boyfriend's brother got engaged whilst in a coma. In Sweden, it is fairly common practice for a couple to, ahead of time, decide on a date to get engaged. They will shop for rings together, one for each partner, and engrave their names and the dates of their upcoming engagement on the inside of the ring. Then when the day comes, They might go on a holiday or to a pretty place that means something special for them or even gather together friends and family in order to exchange rings. From this point forward, they are engaged. They may go on to get married, but not necessarily. For many people, the engagement itself is enough. So... My boyfriend's brother had gone through this entire process, setting the date, buying the rings, getting them engraved. He was also on the waiting list for a heart transplant, so when an organ became available, he was airlifted to the hospital in Lund and underwent surgery immediately. After a heart transplant, you were put into a medically induced coma for some time. And it was during this time that the pre-decided date of his engagement fell. His girlfriend proceeded with the original plan and date, and that is how he ended up getting engaged in a coma. 
I tell this story because I think it is really illustrative of just how different the process of getting engaged in Sweden can be. My grandfather was born in Stockholm, and from the outside, Australia and Sweden don't look so culturally different. And yet, I was completely adrift when it came to understanding some of these important cultural nuances. And my questions about marriage in Sweden took on a real urgency when it came to making a decision for myself. There are a whole heap of readily available resources when it comes to planning weddings. What with the Instagram algorithm, in fact, it's pretty hard to avoid them. There are far less for couples on how to prepare for the marriage itself, and even fewer when it comes to making a choice about getting married. I guess it is my great hope that one day, maybe, this podcast episode helps someone who is in the same position, because I found it really difficult. I'm talking about it all rather theoretically here, but it really weighed on me and I wasn't sure where to go for the answers. The best book I found on this path was actually a huge surprise. It is called Ribbing's Etiquette by Magdalena Ribbing. Swedish listeners will probably recognize the name. Magdalena Ribbing, as I understand it, was kind of the grand dame of Swedish etiquette. She wrote guides and everything from how to be polite on public transport, navigate niceties at parent-teacher meetings, and show manners at the dinner table. So far, so normal. I suspect there might be one of these ladies in every country. In Australia, we have June Daly Watkins. It might sound glib, but my god, have I found her guide useful for navigating Swedish life. When I Google Swedish traditions, I get a lot of fun facts and novelties. There are crayfish parties with hats. But when it came to marriage in Sweden, Ribbing's etiquette delicately traced the concept of marriage through Swedish history, the nuances of the language around it, and the shades of meaning that colour the cultural practices. When my boyfriend and I first talked about his brother's engagement, I thought it might be a problem of translation that for lovade, the Swedish word for engaged, meant something entirely different to the English equivalent. But that's not quite true. The Swedes use the word even when people have a more typical, at least from an outside perspective, engagement with the element of surprise and the diamond ring and the wedding. What I learnt from Ribbing is that the Swedish concept of förlovning evolved from the more ancient Viking practice called trollovning. This ritual can be traced back in the records to Viking time, about 800 AD to 1100 AD. But it may actually have an even longer history than that. It was the families that decided if two youngsters should be joined. They brokered an alliance, usually economic in nature. And when everything was agreed upon, there was a trollovning, where the fathers laid their respected children's right hand over each other. A handshake of an ancient kind 
to confirm that they were now fastening or fastened to each other. After that, they were called fest folk. She was festmer, and he was festmen. Festmen and festmer are still the words used for fiance today. Even after Christian marriage customs came to Sweden, this practice survived, and in fact was fairly common, and was given a sort of special status. Whereas in other Christian contexts, the children of unmarried couples would be considered illegitimate. The children of festfolk could inherit and have legal protections. In fact, as I understand it, trulovning was considered kind of equal to marriage up until about the 1700s. It is in 1739 that we have the oldest written record of the word forlovning. So basically, forlovningen with time came to replace trollovning. It is my belief that this very Swedish dual conception of engagement, one in which it leads to marriage and one in which it doesn't, it exists in its own right, is a kind of amalgam of pre-Christian and Christian practices. And this happens all the time in Sweden. If you are living here, you will recognize this. So many Swedish traditions are a strange mix of the two. For instance, Santa Claus or Tomten. Santa here is a mix between the Saint Nicholas slash Coca-Cola figure that we have in many other countries and the Swedish folk concept of Tomta, these little garden gnome-like trolls. Basically, Santa Claus here is terrifying, and that's a story for another day. So, after I read Ribbings and understood the history and some of the etymology of marriage practices here in Sweden, I felt it was easier to make up my mind. The problem I found is the decision to get married is not made in the mind made in the heart. In the faith tradition that I grew up in, a lot of emphasis is put on the process of discernment. This includes prayer and research, but is also about reading what is written on the heart. They call this concept the discerning heart. I felt that to get out of the mind, I needed to get into my body. I needed to learn to separate my conscience, my intuition, from my fear. And it was this process that led me to the teachers who you have met here on the first season of Like a Prayer. 2020 was a tough year for so many. I don't want to minimize that. It was tricky for me too. So much of my identity was wrapped up in being a traveler. And I missed my friends and family but it also gave me the opportunity to explore within myself, which is where I eventually found my answer. By the end of 2020, I had decided, I want to marry him. Along this journey, I remember speaking to Michelle Baker. You will remember her from episode three about breathwork. I asked her about this, my big decision to make, she gave me some advice that sounds so simple, but it really shifted things for me. She advised that I ask my friends and family about their marriages. Of course, 
Once I made the decision to marry my fiancé, more choices and decisions quickly manifested themselves. At the moment, the big decision to make is how and when to get married, when Australia's border looks set to remain shut until June 2022. And then there's the question of how we, as a couple, choose to honour our marriage. How will we show up for each other in our marriage? So, this week, I decided to follow Michelle's advice again. I asked my friends and family about the best marriage advice that they have ever received, or what they have learnt from married life. I wanted to include some of their answers here in the hope that you too can take something from them. We will hear from my Aunt Rosie and her wife Megan, who have been in a committed relationship for over two decades, most of which time gay marriage was illegal in Australia. Now that the laws have finally changed, they are making things official and having a wedding in October this year. We will hear from my parents who've been married for 31 years, my friend Bia, who married her husband Isaac in their early 20s. They were some of my first married friends. My colleague, Petter, who always gives me the best advice over lunch at work. My future father-in-law, whose wedding I was lucky enough to attend a few years ago. I am so grateful for the generosity with which each person shared. I hope that for you too, the right words find you in the right season. From my perspective, tips when it comes to, if you want to put it, successful, fulfilling, rewarding, long-term relationships. Um, For me, it's all about connection. I think that's been, when I've reflected on uh, the 20 years that I've shared with Rosie, I think that's what we've always striven to maintain and committed to maintain um, because once that you get too far away from each other in that sense of connection, it you start to bring all these other stories and other um, agendas in and you're actually kind of shadow boxing, which I think makes it really difficult to succeed in a relationship. So that would be my advice, maintain connection. We tend to make sure that we always try and lift each other up and that could be in so much as whenever we don't do this all the time but we do it a lot actually I notice when we do something that helps the household or each other we always say thank you and I think that's really important Um, and it's always thinking the best of someone rather than the worst of someone and so mainly in the relationship, we're always out to do better as a couple and for ourselves personally. And if that's your starting point, then even if times are hard, you know that generally you're doing the best that you can for that person. There you go, Alex. Hopefully that helps. It's the collective wisdom from two old aunties. (laughs) (laughs) Two old ladies. (laughs) 
Um, maybe that's a good reason why we should get married. Well, yeah, maybe. <laughs> I think we've got a winning formula. I think we have a winning why formula. Why don't we give it a go on the 2nd of October? Yeah. You want to do it? Yeah. <laughs> um, I think actually one thing I would like to say is laughter. And we do do that a bit and we joke around and we do make each other laugh and that's pretty fun. Laughter is well, always that's, good. That's because I'm funny. <laughs> Yeah, Megs will always laugh at her own jokes, which I find hysterical. So there you go. It's a winning combination. (laughs) Hi, Alex. I guess the advice I would give to people about marriage is actually not to give advice. I don't remember ever getting advice before I got married on being married. And I think that really worked well for me. I think every marriage is so different and so unique and such different circumstances and things that giving general advice then makes people think that they have to maybe be something or be a marriage that may not be for them anyway and then that would put unrealistic expectations maybe on the marriage. So I was very grateful, I guess, in a way that I didn't have any advice that I needed to actually um, do something with. Um, And I guess that leads to my other point, which is... When you do give advice to people, I do notice that most of the time they don't take on that advice anyway. So maybe advice isn't the best thing. Probably the best thing would be to notice and always notice what good marriages look like and have a look at what people are doing around you and what looks like a good marriage and then maybe take on some of those factors in your own. Alex, I've got two pieces of marriage advice that I was given. The first was given to me by my friend and colleague, Dr. Paul Erner, when I got married. He said, Tony, remember that love is a decision, not a feeling. When you get married, you've decided. The second bit of advice is more recent. I read it after the recent death of Ruth Bader Ginsburg. She asked what good advice she could share. And she said, My savvy mother-in-law gave me advice on my wedding day. In every good marriage, she counselled, it helps sometimes to be a little deaf. When a thoughtless or unkind word is spoken, best tune out. Reacting in anger or annoyance will not advance one's ability to persuade. Thanks for asking. My best marriage advice is to talk about everything. Talk about the smallest things that don't even seem so important. Because when the big thing shows up that really does matter, it is easier to know how to start the conversation because you're used to express and reflect on things in life together as a team. One tip that I want to give people that live in a marriage is that you should always do the things that makes you want to be together more in different ways. Make love, hang out, make out, whatever. You can let these kind of uh, this base philosophy guide you. If you want to build a new porch, build a new porch if it makes you more happy as a couple. If it doesn't, please don't. Don't build the porch because it will take a lot of time from you. It will take one of you away from the family for a few days or whatever, and it will bring strain to the situation. Uh, A new car, will will it make you happier as a couple or happier as a family? Probably not. So don't. Don't buy the car if it doesn't make you happy. And I think there's uh, an assumption that we need stuff to be happy. But most of the time, you just need 
creativity or something else. Uh, and that could be a walk in the morning and that could be something else. Or it could be the car because you love riding in the car together. But ask yourself the question, does this make us want to be together more? Hi, Alex. This is my advice. I think the most important is to find the right person that you want to share your life with. And when you have found her, you must accept and love everything about her. You must understand that you yourself are not without faults. Admit when you're wrong. Say that you're sorry and don't brag when you're not. Try to not complain about small things. Say nice things. Marriage is a wonderful thing. You have your heart made close every day. Thank you for listening to this special episode of Like a Prayer with me, Alexandra Lemke, and many of my friends and family. I know that I often felt alone when I was making this decision, so if you know anyone in a similar situation, feel free to pass on this episode. <laughs>